0: Okay, good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Vicki Cirillo, and I have been a covenant member of Crosspoint since 2020. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 11, 1 through 11 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Vicki. So if you have a a Bible, which I hope you do, open it up to that passage. We were in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 for much of April. Uh, We will finish up this letter in a couple weeks, looking at chapter 16 the next couple weeks. So we're going to kind of jump backward with the way the schedule worked and Look at the first eleven verses. If um, if you were sitting down for a meal with a friend, and they ask you what is the most important and central thing that the next generation must know and believe, the most important thing that the next generation must know and believe, what would your answer be? How would they how they should treat others? They are to be kind and loving. Or maybe about how they should invest their money in the power of compound interest. (laughs) Or the importance or value of family. Or how they should be courageous and stand firm in culture. Or how they should approach work and have a strong work ethic. Or how they should engage in and view politics. Or the value of a quality education and training and learning. Or maybe something else. If you do have kids older, I'd encourage you to ask them this. No, Like all justifications set aside, no condemnation. Just have a conversation this week. What are you hearing from us? What are you seeing as most important in our life or as my life as a parent? And ask that. Poll them, if you will. We are all tempted to make a variety of things in this world the most important to us, the most central to our thinking and living. And what is most important to us will be what shapes us. It will be what we run to when life it gets shaky, it will be what we turn to to try to find our rest, satisfaction, and joy. It will be what we feel like is the most important thing the next generation must know and live out. And if individuals are tempted to do this, then it's true that churches are as well, because churches are a family, a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ. Here at the end of this long letter to the Corinthian church, Paul is exhorting the church and its people What is most important is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his birth, life, burial, death, resurrection, ascension, and one day return. I did say death and burial backwards, just so you know, in case you missed that. A sure sign that a church is starting to go sideways in their beliefs and their disciple-making mission is when the gospel moves to secondary. Secondary importance, as if it's truth- that it's only talked about to those who are lost, but not those who are found. I mean, like, like we just needed the good news at our salvation. Or oftentimes the gospel is abandoned altogether or twisted to match the beliefs of the church, the people, the culture. And the church starts to elevate something that is never intended to be most important to most important. And the spirit of God is grieved. The Lord of all glory is not glorified. And worse yet, the harassed and helpless sheep in need of good news, stop hearing good news. We should be passing on a variety of lessons to the next generation. It's not as if those subjects that I gave, those examples don't matter. They most certainly do, but they are to be shaped by the gospel. If we skip the good news of Jesus, then we are skipping what the living and active word of God tells us here is first importance or most important because the gospel shapes and transforms how we treat others, how we handle money, the marriage, family, raising kids, how we engage in culture at work, how we pursue education, how we conduct ourselves in the community and all of life. And loved ones, if it's not central and of first importance to us personally, then it likely won't be for the next generation. Someone has said you can't pass on what you don't possess. And if so, then as Judges 2.10 says... Another generation will rise up who doesn't know the Lord or doesn't know his faithful works that he has done and continues to do. Paul is is exhorting the Corinthian church and us today, brothers and sisters, don't fall into the enemy's trap of elevating secondary matters to most important because in doing so, we relegate what is eternal, unchanging, life-transforming importance to secondary. Let's be reminded of the gospel this morning, because this is what we're holding fast to. This is what we, we proclaimed through song, through prayer, through baptism testimony, verses 1 and 2 again. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Remember, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. He brought the good news to them through his words and way of life. And here he says the gospel that he preached is something the church received in the past. It's what they're taking their stand on in present day. It also shapes their future. Salvation is not just our past, nor only present, nor only future. It's all three. It's all of life. Paul is reminding them, you've received the gospel. You welcome the message of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection. You moved your faith away from yourself put it in Him who is forever faithful, who paid for sin in full, conquered sin, death, and the devil on the third day. You didn't resist that, you embraced that. You didn't walk away, but you, you received that. And it wasn't just like a doctrinal set of truth, a doctrinal book that you received. You received the person work of Jesus Christ and His truth and who He is. And not only did you receive, but the gospel is what you're standing in. It's the rock that Jesus lifted you out of the muck and mire and placed your feet on. Now, today, present day life, this is not old news, this is current news. Brothers and sisters, saving faith is present day faith. It's faith that is actively producing good works, producing a a growing godliness in your life. James would say that faith without works is a dead faith, that if you're confessing Oh, my faith is in Jesus. Of course it is. But there's no outward fruit, no evidence, no actual life change. Then you're lying to yourself and you're lying to those people around you. And keep in mind the context. Paul is saying that the church is standing in the gospel. And yet this church we've seen really needs to grow up. This letter is full of correction, rebuke, exhortation, teaching, teaching. So listen, saving faith doesn't mean present-day perfection. It does mean, loved ones, present-day progress in the Lord. See, some of you hesitate on baptism because you think it's the culmination of your sanctification. You think it's like the pinnacle of, look at all I've done, here's my resume, now I'll go public. If you wait for that, you will never go public with your faith, right? Because we can't go a day without, ah, mm, need the grace of God again today. So baptism is a next step. It's not the final step. We are having baptisms next week. Three more people are going public with their faith. Why not you? Reach out to me. Paul is also talking to a church that has faced some social price in following Jesus. Family rejection, loss of business, relational strife, neighbors who mock and persecute. My fellow missionaries says, our culture is wholeheartedly in a post-Christian mindset. We must take our stand in nothing other than the gospel, in nothing other, for it is relevant in any culture, to any tribe, any tongue, any nation, any point in history. It's unchanging. It's true. We must stand in nothing of this earth, but only in the transcendent and timeless person work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news for our past, our present, and our future. It is by which we are being saved, he says. The Lord who saved you is also the faithful Lord who will hold you fast and securely in his hand. We didn't just receive the gospel once, but in an ongoing, continuous manner. Some wrongly see the gospel as just one chapter, either past, present, or or future. Some see it as only in the past. That's, what, that's what's happened to me. That's when I gave my life to Christ, but now I'm moving on to quote-unquote deeper things. And they miss the present day and the future goodness of the good news. Some wrongly see it as only something I need when I sin, and when I mess up in present-day life. And after I'm right with God again, I can get back to working hard to earn His favor and love. Yes, work hard. Paul will say that in verse 10. But do not. Work hard in order to earn his love, but rather because you're already loved. You're already loved. That's why we grow up in him. Don't ignore your daily need of grace, that his mercies are new every morning. Don't miss that it is finished, while spoken 2,000 years ago, is present-day good news for us. Finally, some wrongly see the gospel as something that just, just affects the future. The gospel is just about heaven it's my get out hell free card it just affects future eternal life but for this life i'll just live however i want to live and we neglect to stand in its truth today and allow that gospel to shape our words and our way of life today paul exhorts the church at the end of verse 2 hold to the message i preached to you saying you're going to be tempted because of your flesh because of the patterns of the world schemes the enemy to let go of the gospel and try to hold on to something else as most important. And if we do so, we are going to slip into what Jesus promises, warns us in Matthew 7, that it's like building your house on sand. It will fall. You will not stand secure. Paul is saying saving faith in Jesus proves itself. It reveals itself over time. And church, I see this in you. Day by day, we're, we're more and more grounded in Him. We're growing up in the Lord and we are in this together, I'm alongside you. I haven't arrived. We are alongside you as a family of the Lord, loved by the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Repentance of sin is on the increase. Dependence upon the Lord is on the increase. A Jesus-like love for one another and for a neighbor is on the increase. A willingness to walk by faith is on the increase a boldness to pray and to show and tell of the gospel to the lost is on the increase. May the Lord who's causing that growth, may the Lord alone who's causing that growth get all the glory. Verses 3 and 4 again, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul passed on both what he had been told, he himself, and what he himself had received and experienced. So this is not Paul's gospel. Charles Spurgeon said this, we are not makers and inventors, we are repeaters. We tell the message we have received. The messenger changes. The message never does. Crosspoint, we are a 20-year-old church proclaiming 2,000-year-old, unchanging, relevant truth. And that will never change. Every generation after us, as long as the Lord has us here on mission. This is what we will proclaim. The story goes of a church member coming up to a pastor. And no, this is not like my story that I'm making, not my story. Okay, like I had a friend. This is, this is truly not my story. Okay. The story goes of a church member coming up to a pastor after a message uh, asking, why do, you, uh, why do you keep telling us the gospel each, each week? And the pastor replied, because you keep forgetting it. And because I keep forgetting it. And because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what is most important because it shapes all of life, not just this little silo, all of life. And in verses three and four, Paul is sharing the historical realities and the elements of the good news. These are not opinions or perspectives, but historical events that reveal a transcendent message and a supernatural God at work behind the message. And who is at the center of this message? We see in these two two verses, it is not Paul, it is no man or woman, it is Jesus Christ alone. It's what he has done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Christ follower who opposed the Nazi, Nazi regime and thrown into a concentration camp, eventually killed for his faith, said this, it's not that God's help and presence must still be proved in our life, rather God's presence and help have been demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, more important for us to know what God did in God's Son, Jesus Christ, than to discover what God intends for us uh, today. The fact that Jesus Christ dies is more important than the fact that I will die. And the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I, too, will be raised on the day of judgment. Our salvation is from outside ourselves. He finishes, I find salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of of Jesus Christ. So Paul gives the historical facts. He, died, Christ died for our sins. And what is implied here is both his birth and his life, his incarnation and his life of perfect obedience to God's commands and law, meeting the demands that we could never do. Crucifixion for our sin, not for his sin, for he was without sin and stain. And through laying down his life, he atoned for or covered our sin, the Lamb of God sacrificed in our place for our sin, His death for our life. He willingly substituted Himself upon that cross when it should have been us dying in that place. So all our guilt, shame, and penalty laid upon Jesus, the Holy One. So now through faith alone and by grace alone, we might be free of all guilt, shame, and penalty and live in light of that. And all of this occurred according to the scriptures. Paul probably has in mind Isaiah 53 as he is thinking of this. He was buried. Why include this detail? Because you don't bury someone who hasn't passed. It was proof that he really died. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb in a known location guarded by the best of the best Roman soldiers. To those who buried him, to those who heard of his burial, they thought one thing. End of story. End of story. But he was raised on the third day, proving he was God and greater than all, even death itself. One author wrote this, if the cross is is the payment for our sins, then the empty tomb is the receipt, showing that the perfect son of God made perfect payment for our sins. He was raised on the third day, proving that what he said in the gospels came to pass. For instance, Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Paul is saying here, you can and you should trust his word. You should align your life with his word. He promised he would die, rise again. He went out and did it. None of us ever have we should trust his word. He always follows through on his word. He's always faithful. He's always true. He won't lie to you. He won't lead you astray. His ways always lead to life and away from death. He is the good shepherd that you can and you must trust with all of your life. And as a result, brothers and sisters, we can hold fast to the message of the gospel because the gospel is the good news of Jesus. He is the center of the story. And so when everything else is shaking or changing, the gospel does not. It's the anchor to every single generation of Christ followers from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout all of history. It's not a Western idea. It's not an Eastern idea. It's a transcendent, transformative message of, of the gospel, of the good news. Have you received it? Have you embraced it? Are you standing in it today? Are you centering your whole life around it? Is it shaping all of your life? Are you seeing it as most and first important? Christ died, he was buried, he was raised, and then in verses 5-7 through he, he gives the next historical fact that he appeared. The bodily resurrected Jesus was witnessed and seen by hundreds. Paul gives a list of Some of these appearances, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of some authoritative witnesses. So, for instance, with the Corinthians, he's saying, if you don't believe the resurrection, which is much of chapter 15, go talk to some of these people. Go talk about how they witnessed the bodily resurrected Jesus. Cephas, known as Peter, the Twelve, probably referring to the first meeting in uh, John 20, in the room where all the doors and windows are shot, or shut and uh, Jesus appears not as a ghost, but just shows up, bodily resurrected, speaks to them, some of his closest followers during his ministry, 500 brothers and sisters, James, Jesus' brother, who early on in Jesus' ministry, according to John 7, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but things change along the way. Things change along the way. That story is not just in the scriptures, the story is ours. Amen? James is listed among the believers, then becomes a leader in the early church. The Lord then and now is changing lives by His grace and power. The apostles may refer to John 20 as well, but also uh, Matthew 28, Great Commission. Acts 1, Great Commission and the Ascension. In verse, one, Paul, in verse 8, Paul is saying that he himself is the last in the line of the apostles who had seen the resurrected Lord. And then verses 9 through 11, Paul is talking about how the gospel of God's grace changed him, it's changing him, and how it sets the direction for his days ahead. The gospel's past, present, and future story for all believers, and Paul is no exception. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Paul's former way of life, before he moved his faith away from self onto Jesus, Paul was known for attacking the church of Jesus Christ, seeking to hinder its mission of grace. Paul was an opponent to Jesus, cursing his name, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He writes, he's been changed. He's being changed. What we see here in these words is not a false humility, but a man pursuing Jesus-like humility. Remember, the Corinthian church is known for arrogance. And so there's this thread in Paul's writing. He's hoping they're going to catch it. Corinthian church, this is not about me, Apollos, Peter, any earthly leader. Make it about Jesus. Make it about him whose grace overflows towards sinners who are repenting and turning back to him. The grace of God has changed Paul. It changes him now. The grace of God motivated him. It's what fueled him. There in verse 10, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me was leading me to labor and work hard in the kingdom of God. The idea of worked hard there in the original Greek is labored to the point of weariness. He's not saying that he's necessarily accomplished more. This is not Western productivity. He's also not taking a shot at the other apostles like Peter, like, man, that guy's just not pulling his away. He's not after the most valuable apostle award. He is instead saying that he will sacrifice of himself for the sake of others, for the Lord, for the spread of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let the grace of God be what drives you, moves you, motivates you to live a life worthy of a calling you have received to work hard in the roles that he has given you, that he has providentially placed you into in home, in workplace, in school, in church, in community, in your relationships, if you're married, does the gospel motivate you as a spouse? Does the gospel motivate you to lay down your life for, the, for your husband or wife? Don't skip over those closest to you. But Let the gospel shape all of life. We're following a Lord and Savior whose yoke is easy, his burden is light. Matthew 11. Whose commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5. And who could be described as living and laboring at a rested pace. But Jesus could never be described as lazy, slothful, indifferent, or apathetic. All of which are self-serving, prideful postures. Jesus is the epitome of living other-oriented. And Paul is following that example. Every Christ follower is as well. All by grace alone. We sacrificially serve because Jesus first served us. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. His grace is what is motivating and empowering us to live a life that would then glorify and reflect him to the world. The gospel of God's grace has changed Paul, is changing him, sets the direction for the future. Verse 11, so we proclaim. For as long as the Lord has Paul on this earth, he will proclaim the gospel. Showing and telling of Jesus. I love the plural nature of we. Paul has the other apostles in mind, other church planters in mind. And so we, in our day, join in the we. And we pick up the baton, the disciple-making mission from our neighborhoods to the nations with the gospel being of most importance. Before the gospel can be received by someone, it has to be proclaimed by another And this is what we do as the people of God, as a way of life. This is what these witnesses did. Christ died, was buried, was raised to life, and it changed everything, including them. And because they took up that disciple-making baton in their their day, and the generation after them did, and the generation after them did, and so on. so we, in North America, are gathered 2,000 years later, worshiping the same risen King of Kings, Lord of Lords proclaiming the same message that has been radically saving and transforming lives ever since. We are repeaters, not inventors. It's restful to know that. That's not on us. We plant, we water, we repeat. God causes the growth. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul writes. Every follower of Jesus has a three-chapter story, the sequence The Corinthians did. You heard it in baptism testimonies. If we were getting coffee, you'd hear it from me. Paul did as well. He speaks of it here in these verses he does in 1 Timothy 1, which we'll read at the end of the the service. And in that passage, it's formerly I was this, but by the grace of God I received mercy and the grace of the Lord overflows for me. And third chapter, I've been changed. I'm not who I used to be. And my changed life is not a glory to me, but a glory to the king of the ages, the immortal, invisible, the only God. How does a once persecutor of Jesus become a now proclaimer of Jesus? One answer, the grace of God, the grace of God. Think of your own life. Pause to consider the goodness of his good news in your life, in your past, your present, and your future. We're going to move into a time of communion So if our First Impressions team uh, can begin to hand out those elements. You don't have to be a member of Crosspoint. The scriptures do say you need to be a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, an understanding of the gospel personally in your own heart. As they hand those out, uh, I want to read to you a quote from Stephen Um. He writes this, The gospel is intended to be part of the past, present, and future reality of a Christian's experience. One's past is settled. Christ entered into history to die for one's sin and raise him or her again to new life. One no longer needs to fear death as a punishment for his or her past sins. Resurrection is a reward because of the work of Christ. An individual present, is secure. One can stand firm and hold fast because God is ultimately holding fast to him or her. The resources of the gospel are sufficient to meet every challenge and temptation that one may face. The ultimate end of all our fears is death, but Christ has defeated death in his resurrection, so all of the resulting fears are stripped of their power. Our future is certain. Individuals do not have to strive to create and maintain a future for themselves because Christ has already done the work for them. The resurrection is clear evidence of Christ's death-conquering work on our behalf. Look at Christ, and you'll see your future. The gospel is intended to be the central power upon which One's life revolves. Loved ones, it must be of most importance to us. It must be what is central to us as a church. It must be what we pass on to the next generation. So when you hold the cup, the juice, the wafer on top, when you hold that cup in your hands, we are declaring, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Charles Spurgeon said this, by the grace of God, we are not only what we are, but we also remain what we are. We are held firm and fast by him. We are shepherded, cared for, led, comforted, and changed by our good shepherd. We will take the elements together as one family of faith here after a time of prayer. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord Jesus, you were born. You lived a life of perfect obedience. You died a death sin that you did not commit you were buried in a tomb and on the third day you rose again you appeared to hundreds you ascended one day you are returning you are good to your word always have been always will be thank you that by your grace we are now united and joined to you by your grace we are not who we used to be by your grace you are faithful to change and transform us day by day help us continue to receive and welcome the gospel and stand firm in it And let it set the direction for our future. Let us be people of hope, for we know how the story ends. Lord, bring your saving faith to those who don't trust in you yet. May they trust in you wholeheartedly. May the people we are praying for and proclaiming the gospel to, may they believe in you. Help us by the grace of God and the Spirit to be found faithful to pass on what is most important, the gospel of your abundant and lavish grace. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Paul gives his testimony in 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed Along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We get an opportunity this week to demonstrate through our words and through our way of life, his abundant grace and mercy toward us. I love you, church. Meet somebody new and see you next Sunday.